With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The French Revolution set Europe ablaze. It was an age of enlightenment and progress, but also of tyranny and oppression. It was an age of glory and an age of tragedy. One man stood above it all. This was the Age of Napoleon. I'm Everett Rummage, host of the Age of Napoleon podcast. Join me as I examine the life and times of one of the most fascinating and enigmatic characters in modern history. Look for the Age of Napoleon wherever you find your podcasts. Hi, this is Scott. If you're a fan of the ancient world, please help us get the word out. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and rate the series on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. We started last episode with the death of Ramesses III. No contemporary figure looms as large in those final decades of the Late Bronze Age. But there was another powerful king who ruled at almost the exact same time, from 1184 to 1155 BC, and whose actions also reshaped the Near Eastern landscape. In fact, even as Syria and Anatolia were falling into chaos, ancient dynasties were falling like cards in neighboring Mesopotamia. So, before I get to the Neo-Hittites, I want to go back and fill in a few gaps about Assyria, Babylonia, and Elam. And just a warning, the king names are going to start flying in pretty hard and fast, so please wear your protective gear. As many of you know, the Elamites are one of the world's oldest urban civilizations. Their traditional domains range from the Iranian highlands to the Zagros Mountains to the Mesopotamian Plain. Their lowland capital, Susa, is one of the world's oldest cities and was situated only a few dozen miles from the Sumerian city of Lagash. One of the virtual constants of Near Eastern history was violent conflict between the Elamites and the various civilizations of Mesopotamia, from the Sumerians to the Akkadians to the Babylonians. After a particularly devastating defeat by King Hammurabi in the 18th century BC, Elam vanished from the scene for centuries. And when Babylon fell to the Hittites in 1595 BC, you might have expected the Elamites to swoop back in and take some revenge. But in fact, they were beaten to the punch by a neighboring tribe called the Kassites. The Kassites hailed from the central Zagros region of Luristan, and hadn't played much of a role in Near Eastern history up to this point. But they'd recently come under the influence of a chariot-riding Indo-European warrior elite from Central Asia, just like the nearby Mitanni. 
And after seeing Babylonia decapitated by the Hittites, the Kassites moved right on in. Their first king, Agum II, established his bona fides by recovering the cult statue of Marduk plundered by the Hittites during their recent sack. And you'll want to put a pin in that one for later. The previous highlanders who'd conquered Mesopotamia, the Shamashki and the Guti, had gotten booted right back out. But the Kassites must have had some kind of secret sauce, because not only would their rulership stick, but they'd end up being the longest ruling dynasty in Babylonian history. You might also think that, since they were former Zagros neighbors, the Kassites and Elamites might not be destined for conflict. If you did, you would be very wrong because the age-old struggle between Mesopotamia and Elam flared right back to life. The first relevant record, from around 1400 BC, notes an Elamite king named Tepti Ahar expelling a Kassite king named Kadashman Harbi, who may have been occupying Elam. While this particular record is a bit ambiguous, it's clear that under the next two kings, the violence ramped up substantially. The main instigator was the new Elamite king, Hurbatila, who repeatedly raided into Babylonia, then challenged the new Kassite king to come and do battle with him. The Kassite king in question, Kurigalzu I, was more than happy to oblige. The battle resulted in the defeat and capture of Hurbatila and the destruction of his dynasty, the Kidinuits. Kurigalzu also ravaged Elamite territory and plundered the capital of Susa. He then installed a figure named Igehalki to found a new Elamite dynasty, unsurprisingly known as the Igehalkids. To grant the new line some royal legitimacy, Kurigalzu married his own sister to Igahalki's son, the Elamite crown prince Pahir Ishan. Later, toward the end of his reign, Kurigalzu also married his daughter, Mishim Ru, to the latest Igahalkid king, Humban Numena. So, it's fair to say that, starting with the reign of Kurigalzu, the Kassites and Elamites were intertwined, and also, for the most part, remained at peace, which freed up Kurigalzu to pursue his real passion, implementing a major building program all across Babylonia. One of his most enduring legacies was the construction of a new royal capital named Dur-Kurigalzu, the fortress of Kurigalzu. The city was sited along an important trade route and included a vast royal quarter dubbed the Egal Kishara, or Palace of the Whole World. In fact, the city's massive ziggurat of Enlil can still be seen on the outskirts of Baghdad today. As I mentioned, Kurigalzud married one of his daughters to the Elamite king Humban Numena. Their offspring, Untash Naparisha, eventually succeeded his father as king. He also went on to rival his grandfather in one significant respect, the construction of a massive ziggurat whose remains are still visible today. 
The ziggurat, now known as Choga Zonbil, is located around 20 miles southeast of Susa, making it one of very few such monuments outside Mesopotamia. As historian Mark van de Meerup notes, the ziggurat contained millions of bricks, a substantial part of which were baked, which resulted in it being the best preserved ziggurat in the entire Near East. It was devoted to Napirisha, the great god of Elam, and Inshushinak, the patron deity of Susa. Also like his grandfather, Untash Naparisha built or renovated numerous monuments all throughout his kingdom. And like his father, he also landed a Kassite princess for his queen. The lady in question was Napir Asu, the daughter of the latest Kassite king, Bornaboriash II. Her unfortunately headless statue still survives, and you can see it on display in the Louvre. Anyway, families are complicated, right? Especially late Bronze Age diplomatic marriages. Because after giving his own daughter to Untashnaparisha, Bornaburiash was forced to accept a brand new bride of his own. The lady's name was Mubalitat Sharua, and she was the daughter of the new, highly aggressive, and extremely intimidating Assyrian king, Asher Ubalit I. Asher Ubalit was the king who'd reasserted Assyrian independence after centuries of Mitanni domination. And he was making a scary enough first impression that Bornaburiash decided that marriage was preferable to war. So, a new wife it was. And eventually their offspring, Kara Hardash, inherited the Kassite throne. Unfortunately, the Kassite military was less than thrilled that their new king was, you know, half Assyrian. So they killed him. Which prompted his grandfather, Asher Ubalit, to march on Babylon, defeat the Kassite army, and install a new vassal king named Kurigalzu II. It's around this time that the story intersects with where we started this series, with Supaluliuma's conquest of Carchemish in 1327 BC. In fact, just to mention it, Supaluliuma may have also married one of Bornaburiash's daughters. Anyway, sticking with events in the east, Asher Ubalit clearly felt that his daughter's marriage into the Kassite dynasty gave him the right to impose his will on Kassite governance. This was forcefully contested a few decades later, when Kurigalzu II shook off his vassalage and marched the Kassite army north against Asher Ubalit's son, Enlil Narari. The ensuing Battle of Sugagu proved inconclusive. But it was successful in establishing a political separation and hostile frontier between the two eastern powers. Despite their fleeting military success, the ongoing theme of the following century was a steady Kassite decline. The kings that followed Kurigalzu II, including Kadash Manturgu, 
Kadashman Enlil, and the super-fun-to-say Shagarakti Shuryash were either crushed in battle by Assyrian rivals or went out of their way to appease them. The cycle was ended fairly decisively in the early 1220s BC, when the latest Kassite king, Kashtiliashu IV, was defeated, captured, and deported to Assyria by its latest king, Tikulti Nanurta. The same Tikulti Nanurta who'd recently defeated the Hittite king, Tutaliah IV. In a later campaign, Tikulti Nanurta demolished Babylon's walls, slaughtered its people, and installed a new vassal king named Enlil Nadin Shumi. And it was at this point that the Elamites decided that the time was ripe for revenge. Their latest king, Kidin Hutron III, brought his army across the Tigris, sacked the cities of Der and Nippur, and, quote, removed Enlil Nadin Shumi, the king, and eliminated his rulership. A few years later, Kidin Hutron recrossed the Tigris, sacked the cities of Isin and Marad, and deposed the latest Assyrian installed king, Adad Shuma Adina. So, the Kassites were getting pretty frustrated with Assyria installing this series of weak rulers who kept getting crushed by the Elamites. At the same time, just beyond Assyria's reach, another figure had been consolidating power in the southern cities of Ur, Uruk, and Nippur. Based on his Akkadian name and southern origins, Adad Shuma Usur may not have been technically Kassite. But after the ejection of the latest vassal king, the Kassite military apparently invited him to take the kingship of Babylon. Adad Shuma Usur began his reign by rebuilding temples and city walls destroyed by Elamite attacks. Meanwhile, up in Assyria, Tikulti Nanurta had grown extremely unpopular and soon found himself besieged in his capital and killed by his very own sons. In fairly short order, he was succeeded by one son, then by his grandson, and then by his second son, Enlil Kaduri Usur. It was a pretty chaotic scene, and the new Babylonian king, Adad Shuma Usur, decided to take advantage. So he marched up north, confronted Enlil Kaduri Usur, and crushed the Assyrian army. The defeat was apparently so humiliating that Enlil Kaduri Usur's own soldiers seized him and handed him over to the Kassite king for punishment. This conflict took place in the 1180s BC, just as the Sea Peoples were laying waste to the northern Syrian coast. So the Bronze Age collapse is now in full swing, and even though there's no direct line of cause and effect, there was definitely something in the air. And the first eastern kingdom to feel the bite was the Assyrians. After their pathetic leadership in the recent conflict, the Assyrian military had grown disenchanted with Tikulti Nanurta's line. So, when a powerful vizier named Ninurta Apple Ecker decided to usurp the throne, he may not have gotten much pushback. 
With his elevation, an Assyrian dynasty stretching back for centuries was quietly and permanently buried. In near tandem, upon the death of King Kidinhutran III, an unrelated figure named Halutush Inshushinak took the Elamite throne. Whatever the exact situation, the transition signaled the end of the Igahalkid dynasty that had ruled over Elam for around two centuries. The new dynasty is known as the Shutrukids, after its second and most famous king, Shutruk Nahunte. And this is the king I referred to at the beginning of the episode, the one whose reign transpired almost exactly in parallel with the pharaoh Ramesses III. And, just like Ramesses, the Elamite king is also famous for winning a surprising victory. When Shutruk Nahunte came to power, the rulers of both Mesopotamian kingdoms, Ninurta Apul Eker of Assyria and Adad Shuma Usur of Babylon, had recently died and passed on rule to their sons, Asher Dan and Melishipak II. As a buffer against further Assyrian intrigues, and to start things off on the right foot with the new Elamite dynasty, King Melishipak II of Babylon married his daughter to King Shutruk Nahunte of Elam. In retrospect, this turned out to be an incredibly bad idea. The problem was, Shutruk Nahunte began to think that the marriage gave his family a claim to rule over Babylonia, a claim he eventually decided to press against the weakened Kassite dynasty. Toward the end of his reign, Shutruk Nahunte brought his army across the Tigris, sacked numerous cities, including Dur-Kuragalzu, Sippar, Akkad, and Eshnuna and ended the reign of Melishipak's son, Marduk Apla Adina. The famous spoils he carried off to Susa included both the stele of Naram-Sin and the law code of Hammurabi. He even inscribed his own personal graffiti on a number of captured monuments, which, as it turns out, is actually a pretty effective way to leave your mark on history. The power vacuum in Babylonia was filled by three main figures. The first was a new Kassite king of unknown origin named Zababa Shuma Adina. The second was the Assyrian king Asher Dan, who seized a number of border territories along with boatloads of plunder. The third and most significant figure was the son of Shutruk Nahunte and Melishipak II's daughter, the Crown Prince Kutir Nahunte. Judging by his own writings, Kutir Nahunte felt his personal claim to the Kassite throne was 100% rock-solid. And after succeeding his father to the Elamite throne, he marched on Babylon, defeated and deposed Zababa Shuma Adina, and installed himself as king of both Elam and Babylonia. A Kassite figure named Enlil Nadin Ahi briefly reigned in opposition, but Kutir Nahunte marched against him, defeated him in battle, and shipped him off to Susa 
along with heaps of plunder from Babylon's temples and the famous cult statue of Marduk. And that, my friends, is the fall of our third and final eastern dynasty, the Kassite dynasty that had ruled Babylonia for well over 400 years. It was also the first time that the Elamites had ruled over Sumer since the Shamashki conquered the Ur-3 dynasty way back in 2004 BC. And, in a fun bit of synchronicity, the native dynasty that rose to eject them would also hail from Isin. The first king of what's known as the Second Dynasty of Isin was named Marduk Kabat Aheshu. After years, possibly decades, of struggle, Marduk Kabat Aheshu finally managed to drive the latest Elamite king, Shilhak Inshushinak, out of Babylonia and back to his capital of Susa. He also campaigned up north against Assyria to recover captured territories. His son and heir, Iti Marduk Balatu, continued the struggle on both these fronts. As it happened, both Iti Marduk Balatu and his Assyrian rival, Asher Dan, died in the exact same year, 1133 BC. In Assyria, civil war broke out between Asher Dan's sons, a war that claimed both of their lives. When the dust finally settled, the new king was Asher Dan's grandson, Asher Resh Ishi, whom we talked about a bit last episode. In Babylonia, Iti Marduk Balatu was succeeded by his son, Nabu Kaduri Usur. Just like with Tiglath Pileser from last episode, a later Babylonian king of the same name interfaced with the Hebrews of Israel and Judah, who approximated the name Nabukaduri Usur as Nebuchadnezzar. So, yes, we're talking about Nebuchadnezzar I. One of his very first acts was making peace with Ashur-Resh-Ishi of Assyria, at least for the moment. Because his primary focus was getting revenge for the Elamite plunder of Babylon. In 1120 BC, in the hottest month of the year, Nebuchadnezzar led the armies of Babylon in a surprise attack on the Elamites. A contemporary chronicle provides some color, relating that the heat of the day was such that the axes held in the hand burned like fire and the road surfaces were scorching like flame. There was no water in the wells, and drinking supplies were unavailable. The strength of the powerful horses slackened, and the legs of even the strongest man weakened. Despite the brutally adverse conditions, Nebuchadnezzar emerged victorious. After defeating the Elamite king Hutelutush in Shushinak, and destroying his army, he went on to sack the capital of Susa and retrieve the cult statue of Marduk. Which brings us back to the pin I dropped earlier, since this is the second dynasty to burnish its credentials by retrieving the same cult statue. It's also worth mentioning that, like the previous defeat under King Hammurabi, the Babylonian assault was so completely devastating that it effectively destroyed Elam as a regional power for the next 300 years. 
Nebuchadnezzar was eventually succeeded by his brother, Marduk-Nadinahi. Looking for a flashy victory of his own, Marduk-Nadinahi decided to raid into Assyria and plunder some famous cult statues. And I'm like, learn from your own recent experience, dude. People do not just let that stuff go. In this case, Marduk-Nadinahi was particularly unlucky. Because the new king warming the Assyrian throne was Tiglath-Pileser I. As he himself recorded, in response to the Babylonian raid, Tiglath conquered the cities of Dur-Kurigalzu, Sippar, Babylon, and Upi. I massacred them in great number. I plundered countless amounts of their booty. I conquered the palaces of Babylon belonging to Marduk Nod and Ahi, and I burned them with fire. Twice I drew up a battle line of chariots against the king, and I defeated him. Surprisingly, given all that, Marduk Nadinahi survived the battle and retained the kingship of Babylon. But, to be honest, it was kind of a mixed blessing. Because the remaining years of Marduk Nadinahi and Tiglath Pileser were almost completely occupied with countering a rising tide of Aramean invasions. By 1076 BC, both kings were dead and their kingdoms passed down to their sons. Marduk Shapikzeri in Babylonia, and eventually Ashur Belkala in Assyria. Which is where I'm going to leave things off for now. Next episode, we'll pick things back up in contemporary Syria, and cover the final years of the Hittite dynasty that had bridged the Bronze Age collapse.